Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Before we hire you here at Stearns, Shine, Butler, Myron, Winken, Blinken, Crosby, Stills, Sacco, Vanzetti, Pierce, Fenner, Smith, we have to put you through one last test. We are America's leading advertising firm. We expect you to be able to inject positive feelings into anything. I'm going to go quickly through a list of negative things, and I want you to just blurt out the first positive reframing that comes into your head. Ready? Super prepared. That, that wasn't part of the list. I was just, never mind. Here we go. Root canal. Oral adventure. Cockroach. Winged guardian of the night kitchen. Gonorrhea. Rite of passage. Telemarketers. Cure for loneliness. John Edwards. Pass. John Edwards. Gonorrhea resistant. Nickelback. I forget they remind me. Broccoli. Mm, I got nothing. Come on, you're amazing. The best we've ever seen. You're killing this test. You can do broccoli. Am I really the best you've ever seen? No, I'm in advertising. Broccoli. Uh, I, I just can't do it. Can anybody do it? Can anyone make broccoli sound good? That's the theme of our show today. And now the guy who takes it in suppository form, Colin McEnroe. Well, the idea is not to eat it, right? Actually, in all honesty, I love broccoli. I had bro- I had broccolini last night, uh, and I guess it sort of also became in, le- in leftover form part of my lunch today. So I'm broccoli saturated a lot of the time, and I think it explains my extraordinarily robust health here at the uh, age of 99 or whatever I've turned out to be here. So I, I, I take no, con- I require no convincing about how great broccoli is, but a lot of people do, and so we've been sort of looking at this. And one of the reasons we've been looking at this is this very unusual project that's going down in New Haven, and in fact, uh, to Tomorrow, uh, after you've had a tremendous amount of no, it's actually a week from tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow, after you've had a tremendous amount of fun listening to the news, uh, or right before it comes on as a rebroadcast at eight, from six to eight uh, at the Elm City Market, uh, there will be um, a showdown, a showdown, a broccoli versus uh, kale smackdown. Uh, we're going to tell you a little bit more about that, but it's all kind of part of this push and this very interesting project that attracted our attention. And what attracted our attention is this sort of effort to see whether broccoli could be made sexy or fun or cool. Um, Improbably, we've been through, but undeniably, we've been through this incredible kale phenomenon. I don't know that it really, at an agricultural and a mass agricultural level, made that big a difference. But boy, a lot of people, a lot of cookbooks, a lot of t-shirts, a lot of kale juicers, a lot of kale everything. Kale suddenly got very hip and trendy. So could the same thing happen to to broccoli? And then that got us also thinking, well, what is broccoli anyway? What what do we know about broccoli? And it turns out, at the time anyway, we didn't know very much. Anyway, we're going to sort of lay this whole thing out for you. First of all, sort of how a food can get positioned uh, and whether broccoli could be that food that gets positioned. Uh, we've got a fairly long story to tell you about that. And then we've also got some stories to tell you about what broccoli is. So a little bit later, you're going to meet uh, Lawrence Davis-Hollander, an ethnobotanist, an expert in plants. I guess those two things are the same thing, really. And a kitchen garden designer as well uh, has written about specifically about broccoli, one of the most, probably the most informative article I encountered in my researches. Uh, so you'll meet him in just a second down at the Yale Studios. Uh, you may hear them, uh, you know, getting nervous in the background. <laughs> Adam Goff, uh, Tegan Engel, and Jeremy Oldfield. I'm going to introduce them fully to you in just a second, but they're part of this very interesting project that's uh, going down in New Haven. We'll tell you all about them in just a second. Uh, but we want to start with... Um, 
with uh, an advertising agency called uh, Victors and Spoils. Uh, and joining us right now is uh, Andy Nathan, who is Chief Marketing Officer with Victors and Spoils. In just a second, we're going to add, I think, Chris Sima to this conversation, Creative Director at Victors and Spoils. So, Andy Nathan, welcome to the show. Um, you got approached, I guess, maybe about a year or more ago by a New York Times writer. Do I have this right? A New York Times writer who wanted to see whether you'd be interested on kind of a pro bono, experimental, fun basis in taking on Broccoli as a client? That's right. That's right. Actually, it was, um, I think it was about June, and we got a call by uh, a guy by the name of Michael Moss, who's a Pulitzer Prize-winning author um, for the New York Times and also wrote the book Salt, Sugar, Fat. And basically, he was just very fascinated about you know this topic. Obviously, he kind of um, talks a lot about um, marketing and how kind of marketing different foods in, in particular. He was, had particular interests on how processed foods market themselves. And you know his kind of premise was if we can make a, a – somewhat polarizing mundane vegetable like broccoli cool, we probably have the potential to make anything cool. So you know, we worked with them and also Bolt House Farms, um, is, you know, in, who also kind of collaborated on this project. And very exciting project and, and really showed a lot of potential in terms of where we could go in terms of um, marketing, you know, uh, fruits and vegetables. All right. Um, we're gonna first of all. I think um, one of the one of the problems here, one of the things you have to deal with is, and more even than we had even realized, broccoli really is. It's almost a placeholder uh, in some ways for. Uh, the dividing line about vegetables. In other words, it's sort of a, it has come to be a placeholder for like all of the vegetables that people don't like. And and maybe one of the first people to get this started was uh, President George H. W. Bush, uh, who famously repudiated broccoli not just once, but he actually mentioned uh, broccoli seventy times during his presidency. Uh, and he discovered really that um, broccoli, the fact that he didn't like broccoli, was one of the things that was kind of funny about him. Um, that wasn't hugely at his expense. So he really liked that joke. He told the broccoli joke over and over again. But here's how it came out the first time. I do not like broccoli. (laughs) And I haven't liked it since I was a little kid. And my mother made me eat it. And I'm president of the United States. And I'm not going to eat any more broccoli. So he banned it from Air Force One. He did a lot of stuff like that. There was, in fact, a sort of hue and cry, particularly from California farmers. They wound up delivering, I think, 10 tons of broccoli to the White House, which, where it was received by his wife, Barbara Bush. Then it was distributed, I think, to food kitchens around the D.C. area. But, you know, it kind of started a thing, a thing in which broccoli was, you know, this thing that people might refuse to eat. So, and we, But we have to say, sort of say at the presidential level— um, President Obama has sort of tried to go in a different direction without necessarily repudiating George W. Bush, H. W. Bush's repudiation of broccoli. Here's what he said. Let me ask you something. Uh, You told a group of young people that broccoli was your favorite food. Now, (laughs) lying to voters is one thing. Lying to children, that's... That's... That is... Let me say this. Can you put your right let, hand let, in the Bible let, let and me say, say broccoli? This. Uh, I, I have broccoli a lot. I mean, may, uh, no, really? you can ask my staff. Really? I, the, uh, it is one of my staples. <laughs> me and broccoli, I don't know. We've got a thing going. Really? Uh, really? It so, goes especially well with burgers and fries. Right, right. Absolutely. And did Michelle make a broccoli cake with the broccoli uh, icing it? Well, I won't, really? I won't go that far. Now, did the kids believe you, or did they go, Well, oh, they did kind of. They, they looked at me. <laughs> they had their little pads and pencils. They're all, Really? More, more than chips? Well, yeah. 
So then you look around in popular culture, and again and again, broccoli is the thing. It's the thing that is the symbol of the thing that you won't eat. So there's an episode of Seinfeld where, for reasons that I, I aren't even worth recalling, Seinfeld uh, gets concerned that the character Newman is is picking up chicken orders that are really for Kramer. And so he, he catches Newman picking up this or this takeout chicken order and, and is trying to interrogate Newman about whether it's really for him or really for someone else. And, and he discovers that there's something besides chicken in the chicken order, and that's the tip-off. So this, that's what you're going to hear here. Hello, Newman. Hello, Jerry. And don't forget your steamed broccoli. Hold it. Broccoli? No, and you wouldn't eat broccoli if it was deep fried in chocolate sauce. <laughs> I love broccoli. It's good for you. Really? Then maybe you'd like to have a piece. Gladly. Vile weed. So, um, so Chris Sima, as the other part of this uh, conversation from Victor and Spoils, uh, Chris Sima, creative director at Victor's and Spoils. So that's what you're up against, right? Is is this notion that broccoli's a, a vile weed, or it's sort of the symbol of the vegetable that people won't eat? How do you deal with that? It's not not an easy challenge. I think, uh, I mean, people either hate broccoli or they're so used to it that they just ignore it by nature. It's um, it's kind of the world's punishment food. But um, the reality is, and everybody knows it's good for you, but nobody's actually eating it. There's a slogan, the world's punishment food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that one was not going to probably be as effective for us. Um, so, but, yeah, no, it's quite a challenge. But the reality is we've got to do something. And, um, you know, you've you got to treat it like a big brand. You've got to treat it like, you know, the Cokes and the Doritos, and that's exactly what it's against. So, you know, it, it wasn't easy. But luckily we reached out to the world, and the world helped us kind of solve this thing. And you just got to kind of – we had a – how we thought about marketing this thing because we we're just like consumers too and we felt the same way like is, is broccoli worth saving can it be saved can it be awesome and i think i think that was the the obstacle put in front of us so you had what the new york times described as a an aha moment uh which is when you were sort of looking at broccoli sales realizing that it actually ranks 20th among vegetables way higher than kale kale for all of its trendiness and faddishness and the fact that all these celebrities uh are are juicing it and bet bet midler's eating it and mariska hargitay everybody uh, is into kale it's in 47th place it's not really rocking the vegetable world so you decided what to sort of basically pick a fight right yeah, well, I mean, the aha moment it was kind of like the, the, the sentiment was already there, and I think our aha moment was just realized. A lot of times you think that there's some writer in a, in a dark room somewhere, you know, diligently crafting the silver bullet idea, but what we realized is that, you know, there's so much trendiness with vegetables these days, and people are identifying and using them to brand themselves. And, and you know, broccoli can take a stand, and, and it needs to take a stand. Well, how can we do that? I mean, how do you take a stand against a bully in school? How do you take a stand in life? It's like, you stand up and you, and you be confident and, you know, what's the way to do that in advertising? Well, let's, let's have a vegetable pick a fight with another vegetable. Let's go, let's go call the cool kid out and see if we can uh, make a name for ourselves. And then once we kind of hit on that fact and we really analyze kale and kind of the, there's a bit of a pretentious hipster following of that, it's like, wow, I think there's a lot of people that might actually can use broccoli to rebel against that, that cultural thing that's going along with it. And then it just kind of had legs of its own from there. So, in other words, it's Broccoli's first day in prison, and so it walks across the yard and punches the kale in the face, right, uh, to yeah, establish yeah. its credit. <laughs> yeah. If Broccoli were to go to prison, the first thing it had to do is pick a fight with the toughest guy in the yard. 
So Andy Nathan, uh, Chief Marketing Officer for Victors and Spoils, I mean, this was a, um, an intellectual exercise or something that you were doing at the behest uh, of an acclaimed writer. And was the plan just to sort of leave it at that? And if, if that was the plan, is that still the plan? Uh, you know, I think for us, I mean, I think the big thing is, like, we wanted to, we, we knew this was going to be in the New York Times magazine. We also knew that they were going to document this whole process so there would be a video that would also sit on NewYorkTimes.com. And it really, you know, for us was like a great opportunity to just like demonstrate the power marketing can have on, on consumers' eating habits. I mean, there's, there's no question that we all could agree that there's a, a crisis on our hands. Like, it's, you know, America's one of the most unhealthy nations on the planet. We're overweight and we're sedentary. So there was a real opportunity here to really kind of serve as like a blueprint for how, you know, produce marketers and, you know, fruit and vegetable marketers can turn some of these healthy foods into the fun foods and really kind of inject some kind of marketing, you know, pixie us into this whole process and, and really kind of get people, instead of like being forced to have to eat their vegetables, to actually go out and want to eat their vegetables. And, um, you know, I think the other big thing is, you know, from what we can tell, it's actually been very successful. I mean, you know, we've, we've gotten some data um, from a source called Fresh Look that said a, a month after this, this campaign ran in New York Times and also the subsequent um, PR around it, that it really in sales increased 23%. And then we heard from Adam, you know, in New Haven that literally some one of the supermarkets is up 48% in terms of broccoli, um, you know, sales. So clearly something that we're doing here is working, and it feels like a real opportunity um, for other fruits and vegetable brands to go out there and do something similar. So the, the campaign consisted of things, slogans like broccoli now 43% less pretentious than kale. What came first, kale or the bandwagon? Uh, eat fad-free broccoli versus ca- kale. So, Chris Sima, you're kind of defining kale as the hipster, right? Everybody wants to be a hipster or everybody hates hipsters. People can't really make up their mind about it. But there's there's something about the notion of a hipster that's worth rebelling against. Totally. And it's, it's a little bit of like, you know, using a vegetable to find your, your cool stance on the world or your, your philosophy. And then also, I mean, I think, I think all of us are students of advertising because we see it all day long. But if you go back to the old, like, Pepsi versus Coke campaigns of, like, the 80s, it's a little of that idea, too. Let's, let's pick a fight with the, the dominant brand, and you can, you know, pick a fight with the hipsters, pick a fight with kale. And, you know, by that nature, we're drawing attention to both kale and broccoli, and then hopefully that leads to people just eating both of them more. Right. So, yeah, so so everybody benefits. I mean, that was kind of what probably happened in the soda wars themselves. But we want to thank you guys from Victors and Spoils uh, for getting this story started. We're going to um, now turn to the, the studio in New Haven where the story continues. So this is sort of an idea in a magazine article. And Adam Goff, uh, who's a junior at Yale, works at the Yale Farm, studies food, agriculture, and education. What did you guys do with that? H- how did New Haven and Yale get involved in this? Well, we saw the newspaper ads and we're like, wow, these are brilliant. Um, and if they're so popular when they're mock-ups, when they're not even up, what would happen if we actually got a billboard? And so did, did, did you get a billboard? We did. It took longer than we expected. We started this in like November. We're like, oh, you know, Victor's and Spurls already did the hard work. They made the ads. They made Broccoli Cool. How hard can it be to actually just convince people to put them up for free? <laughs> and so, so we were wrong about some of that, but most of it worked. Yeah. So you have billboards up. What kind of ad presence or, or visual presence do you have now with this Victor's and Spoils created 
sort of broccoli versus kale campaign? What, what have you achieved? So in New Haven, if you go to any of the three major central grocery stores, so Edge of the Woods, Elm City Market, or Stop and Shop, their broccoli ads up near the broccoli. If you drive down Chapel Street and take a left on Hamilton, you can look up and see a billboard over I-91 that has those slogans you talked about, which came first, kale or the bandwagon. You also can see ads um, on Chapel Street um, through the storefront windows of Claire's and Elm City Market and in Main Garden Restaurant um, and at Atticus. So Jeremy Oldfield is with us also down at Yale. He's the field uh, academic coordinator uh, at the Yale Sustainable Food uh, Project. And is that number that Andy Nathan quoted to me, is that real, that there was a 48% increase somewhere? Uh, this is, that was news to me, um, <laughs> but I would not uh, doubt it. There has been a the, – the city is a buzz in uh, broccoli versus kale. Um, and, yeah, we're just really excited to see – this um, I was just like you know signaling to Adam across the studio. I asked him if kale also went up, um, and it sounded like kale also had. A I haven't bit seen of a the numbers yet, oh. so we'll, we'll see. Okay, that was like a nod of of, of hope. Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, it's just really neat to see students that we're working with kind of bringing that sort of like fresh pixie dust that Andy was talking about to a, a, a food movement that is sometimes uh, accused of being pious and, and, and perhaps over earnest. Um, and so it's kind of fun to uh, drive around, walk around New Haven these days. And, you know, where you would see um, some insurance ad or something like that, you're seeing a, uh, a battle of the brassicas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my big hopes for this is that some, some guy is sitting in rush hour traffic on I-91 and he looks up and he sees this ad and he laughs mm. and just kind of unexpected thing at the end of a long day. Um, I, I want to come back to the how, how you did this and, and the fact that the Kickstarter was used, which we kind of skipped over. But before mm-hmm. we do that, Tegan Engel, I want to bring you into the conversation, too. Tegan Engel is a chef and community food system coordinator at City Seed in New Haven uh, and on the New Haven Food Policy Council. You know, and as, as somebody with that kind of background, particularly in cooking, I mean, it. It must be kind of mysterious. I mean, just let's just go back a year or so to the so-called kale phenomenon. I mean, it must be completely mysterious to everybody why something like that would happen, right? Why suddenly kale would go from kind of a leafy green afterthought to this thing that was unbelievably cool. I mean, is there any possible explanation for a thing like that? Yeah, well, there's always fads that happen. And I kind of watched the kale chip phenomenon spread among, uh, you know, middle class health food conscious people, uh, kind of to my surprise, you know, I, I eat extremely healthy, but I don't expect that everyone else does. So when people started saying, yeah, we're making kale chips. And then I heard another person saying we're making kale chips. And then suddenly there's a local business making kale chips. It was kind of surprising to watch kale explode like that. But I guess I just saw it as one of any other fads. I mean, pomegranates, you know, my mom came, grew up in, immigrated to this country from Israel. So I grew up eating pomegranates, but most other people had never heard of a pomegranate before, you know, 2003 (laughs) or something. And uh, so I think it's just one of many food fads that happens. And it's kind of nice that it happened with something that's healthy and good for us and is, you know, bringing to light that we need to eat green things if we're going to have our country not continue to die at astronomical rates of health-related diseases like obesity and diabetes so um, and heart disease. So it, it was surprising that it was kale, for sure, but I think it's just one of many food fads. Um, by the way, if anybody wants to join this conversation about whether it's possible to take something like broccoli and make it cool, make it hip, make it trendy, our number, 860-275-7266, either that or just your own Proustian uh, memories uh, and associations with broccoli, which 
can then become fodder for the ad campaign. 860-275-7266. Or you may tweet us, as some people have it, WNPR Colin. Dave Diamond tweets, when part of General Tso's chicken, broccoli is much cooler. Uh, <laughs> a reference to General Tso, the Chinese uh, military leader who defeated his enemies by covering them in really, really sticky, gooey stuff. Um, <laughs> nobody really knows anything about General Tso. You know, what did he do? Uh, how did he do this? So a- Adam Goff... Um, one of the things that you did, I mean, obviously billboards and stuff like that, they don't grow on trees. They don't hand them out for free. So you guys did a Kickstarter? Yeah, we had gotten enough funding through Yale and Victor's and Spoils to run the very beginning of the campaign. But even no matter how nice you are to people over the phone, they're not going to give you billboard space for free. Um, so we put up a billboard, uh, Kickstarter and asked people to donate um, and ended up raising $2,400 over maybe a week and a half. That's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. And, and so what was fueling that? I mean, people just sort of feeling the playful nature. Uh, I mean, one of the things that, that, um, that Jeremy said before, I thought that really resonated, is that sometimes the, the, so the culture of food, the culture of good food, the culture of healthy food can seem uh, a little self-righteous um, or, or medicinal. Uh, and uh, I, I hosted a Connecticut forum a few years ago that was with Alice Waters, who was actually being squired around by members of the Yale Sustainable Food Project. <laughs> uh, but she was up there with Anthony Bourdain and Duff Goldman, who's the ace of cakes. And they were like the fun guys, you know, and she, she was starting to realize that she was the this is good for you person. And that was like <laughs> that was no fun whatsoever. But, Adam, do you think part of the Kickstarter thing was, oh, yeah, this looks like it might, it might actually be fun and, and maybe playful? Yeah, you get to kind of laugh at yourself a bit. Um, and it's just like it's just a surprising place to see broccoli. There's lots of places you expect to see broccoli, but putting it in places where you expect to see like Coca-Cola ads, mm-hmm. it's just like kind of you get taken aback a bit in a good way. On that point, um, at the Elm City Market, a colleague of mine said that uh, they saw the brocade um, sign for broccoli being placed right next to the Axe body deodorant uh, <laughs> spray. So there was the, they were. I think that people are having fun with uh, juxtaposing a sort of masculine uh, uh, spray with a, a sort of masculine brocade. Oh, yeah. yeah. J- Jeremy, you better explain brocade for those people who are, aren't steeped in uh, the campaign. Yeah, it sounds sort of like one of the uh, options that Andy and Chris kind of came up with over at Victors and Spoils was to um, uh, have a have a uh, image of a hand holding a you know pretty robust stalk of broccoli uh, and what, what is what is the text Adam something about give your bro a brocade today yeah, something or something like, like that, that. Um, kind of digging pretty deep in a pretty comical way for uh, a little bit of a, a, a sort of I don't know Super Bowl esque mm-hmm. kind of yeah. tie in the, the, the visual needs to be a head of broccoli with like a popped collar shirt on it you know and maybe some <laughs> sunglasses hanging by one of those th- things that bros hang their sunglasses and with. if anybody listening wants to buy a brocade you can call up CT Blossom Shop and they'll give you one so yeah. it is a real thing <laughs> Tegan what were you going to say uh, I was going to say this campaign keeps reminding me of the milk campaign you know the milk mustache campaign <sighs> that has been going on forever yes. and and I think you know this idea of taking something, a food item, and making it cool through advertising. We've seen it happen. Those those ads are up in schools. They're they're everywhere. They've been, you know, every magazine you open still has one of those ads in it. Yeah. And um, and so I think this idea of you know advertising tends to make Americans make really bad food choices. Most of the stuff mm-hmm. that's heavily advertised to us is really bad for us. When you walk into the grocery store, you ha- see like a wall of soda, you know, artfully designed to look like, you know, Super Bowl or something, or, you know, you, the things that are colorful and advertised to you are, are encouraging people to make really bad food choices, but you can use advertising for good. And I think we're at a point where we have to do that. So I kind of love this idea of taking a single item and, and playing with it like this and think, you know, if we were able to spread it beyond one billboard and a couple stores and, and have it be as, you know, mass marketed as some of 
things like subsidized milk campaigns because um, broccoli is not a subsidized item. It's not a you know, the milk, milk is subsidized by our mm -hmm. American mm -hmm. government. Broccoli and other vegetables, which are called specialty crops, are not subsidized. So there's not a, as easy a thing to market and to put money behind like that. But it would have a big impact on what people buy. Okay. Now, I'm guessing so far you guys haven't worked on the hip-hop component of this, right? I was on a hip hop radio show last night talking about right. <laughs> healthy food, but well, we, we don't have a song to go with it quite yet. Things are about to, <laughs> things are about to get very real for you guys because joining us right now is Self Suffice, the great Hartford rapper. Uh, I Self Suffice. How are you? What up, Colin? So, what have you got to? I, I wouldn't have expected you to be calling up a show about broccoli, but then you surprised me in so many ways. I, I left my computer somewhere at one of these schools. I had to go back and get it, and I heard you talking, and I realized that when I go to get veggie patties at one of the uh, Caribbean spots, the two vegetarian options are broccoli and spinach, mm. and it just occurred to me that that makes me have to choose between broccoli and spinach. So <laughs> I wonder what, you know, the competition between broccoli and spinach, how that helps broccoli stand out. And also, if you guys consider spinach to be a legitimate competitor to broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> Popeye's got spinach back, so I think, yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, you know, there, there's actually, when we get into things with uh, Lawrence uh, Davis-Hollander, there's kind of an interesting history to all that. And, and I think he'll be able to kind of help us sort this out. But my, you know, self-suffice, uh, first of all, the, the greatest uh, broccoli rap actually was written by Roy Blunt Jr., who said, uh, it's an anti-broccoli rap. He said, the neighborhood stores are all out of broccoli. Luckily. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. But I don't know. Are you ready to freestyle about this? Or do you have anything uh, that you could say about yeah, the broccoli? Yeah, I mean, till it's, till it's discovered in the meanwhile, I got to shout out to Broccoli and my freestyle because Broccoli versus Spinach is like, you know, the enemy grimace on Christmas. Without Broccoli, you don't have the gift that your body try to give us. It's nutritious. But then you get another call from spinach on the other line, and it's like, my brother Broccoli, he's fine, but, you know, spinach is sublime. And this is how it's been going since time immemorial. So I had to call up your show, even though it's not like Maury Poe, you know, the one where people <laughs> be fighting. This is more about broccoli and spinach. It's where people be biting. <laughs> nice. Uh, all right. Uh, well, <laughs> Adam, Adam, I hope you wrote all that down. Um, well, listen, uh, self suffice, I'd really like to talk, but I'm too busy munching on my broccoli stock. Uh, but thank you very much for calling us up. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We do need to drop some serious knowledge about the history of broccoli, and Lawrence Davis Hollander is going to help us to do that. A lot of calls on the board, too. We'll get to you folks. What wonders it can do for your life. Broccoli is cool now. Mm, cool now. Broccoli is cool now. And so are carrots. Broccoli is cool now. And so is asparagus. Mushrooms are cool now. Now you're pushing it. Hey, now you're pushing it. All right, we're back. We're talking about broccoli. Uh, and uh, with us uh, in the Yale studios are Adam Goff, a junior at Yale, works at the Yale Farm, studies food, agriculture, and education. Tegan Engel is a chef and a community food system coordinator at uh, City Seed in New Haven and on the New Haven Food Policy Council. Jeremy Oldfield is the field academic coordinator for the Yale Sustainable Food Project. Joining us now, too, is uh, Lawrence uh, Davis Hollander, uh, who is an ethnobotanist. I'm so glad there is such a thing as an ethnobotanist. Wrote a terrific article about uh, broccoli uh, for an online publication called 
grit, which I don't think is the same grit that as kids we were urged to sell and somehow make money. Um, it's a different kind of grit. Uh, but a, a terrific article. So Lawrence Davis Hollander, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. You've been, be here. you've been listening to a very spirited conversation so far. Uh, we're not going to ask you to rap. Um, that's good. That's good, yeah. So, um, first of all, in your article, I, I love beautiful new words. And um, one of the things, one of the words that I discovered in your article was inflorescence, uh, which is what I guess broccoli is. What, what does inflorescence mean? Inflorescence, inflorescence is basically, it's a flower. Mm-hmm. And broccoli is compo- composed of a whole a lot of them. Um, and if you let it go far enough, they open up and you see flowers. And, uh, you know, uh, Jeremy, I think a few minutes ago used, uh, or it might have been Adam, I think it was Jeremy, used the phrase, he was uh, the battle of the brassicas. Uh, so brassica is another important word here, right? Yeah, I mean, brassica, uh, brassica oleracea is the whole group of that includes broccoli and things like, and kale and cabbage and Brussels sprouts and, you know, kohlrabi, a lot of really great crops. All right. And by the way, we have some fabulous calls here. We're going to get to them in just a second, but I want to set this up a little bit, too, Um, because one thing that um, I mean, I sort of had no idea about the history or provenance of broccoli until reading your article. It's really an incredibly ancient food, right? We have plenty. The elder uh, mentions it. I mean, it really goes back to to Roman times. It goes back to Roman, uh, probably uh, Greek and um, exactly what they were talking about. We don't always know, but essentially it's not the big firm heads of broccoli we see, but something that was referred to as a, later as asparagus broccoli or sprouting broccoli. They were more loose heads, and they were essentially broccoli and some parent of the modern-day broccoli. It's a very complicated group, and I'm not going to go into the whole botany of it, but it's a very complicated group. It's not a straightforward story. No, I, I I got that feeling. I mean, first of all, I was at one point a classics uh, major at Yale, uh, so I went back and started looking at it. And first of all, there's at least two things that they're talking about that that could or could not be broccoli. One of them is cymae, I think C Y M A E. And but then there's a thing that we I think is now called calabrese, right? They they seem to be talking about a bunch of different things back in you know two or three or four hundred BC. Yeah, well, the probably the more heading type of, of broccoli, like the calabrese, probably is much, much later. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't look like it really appears even in Italy to like, you know, it's hard to say exactly, but much later on, like 18th, 19th century. Whereas the other, whereas the other looser heads were being grown for a long, well, not looser heads, but looser stalks were being grown for a long, long time, obviously, you know, including Roman times, but didn't really seem to get out of Italy uh, or maybe into southern France a little bit. Catherine de' Medici yeah. theoretically uh, brought it along into France. But we're not talking until the 17th century, and not even until England into the 18th century. And broccoli, you know, outside of Italy is not super popular in Europe still. And, and it, it, it eventually does migrate to the U.S., I mean, much, much later. Although Thomas Jefferson, we know, I, I think planted broccoli. He was always experimenting with new stuff. But its real big boom comes at the start of the 20th century, right? There's these two brothers, the Dorigo yeah, and brothers. And that's why this story we're having right now is, is not terribly unique. Um, there were these uh, two brothers, uh, Stefano and Andrea Arrigo, uh, who decided they really wanted to make broccoli into a major crop. And they did radio ads and so forth. Uh, and before they actually decided this, around the same time, early in the century, um, there was some report that 
you know, white vegetables weren't as good as green vegetables, which then uh, provided the entryway for broccoli to get bigger and kind of kick cauliflower to the side. So, yes, it wasn't until like the 20s that broccoli became this essentially really American crop. And, and it's, it's, you know, and it's funny because it probably therefore caught the young George H.W. Bush. I mean, the broccoli craze that started probably would have hit him right around the time of his childhood. No wonder he's still rebelling against it. But, um, but you and know. Well, and it was also from Italians, you know, so. Well, that could have, could have been, uh, yeah, a little bit uh, <laughs> too, too ethnic for uh, his, too ethnic. his preppy background. Well, you know, even at the time, you go back and there's a famous New Yorker cartoon. Um, from I think about the 1930s, which I've never understood until now, which is it's a mother and a kid at a table, a little girl, and she's saying, it's broccoli, darling. And the kid is saying, I say it's spinach and I say the hell with it. Um, and I guess it was it really the subtext of that cartoon is that broccoli got to be kind of a little bit of a trendy, fatty food, F-A-D-D-Y, fatty food, uh, somewhere there in the 20s and 30s, right? The radio advertising for the Andy Boy brand and stuff like that. And it was, it was maybe not exactly in the way that kale became cool recently. It became kind of cool. Well, it did with a you know, slightly different origination. And, you know, the way, the way I'd kind of put it is that, you know, kale's, you know, broccoli is sort of digital comparatively to kale, where you know, kale is a sort of, you know, books, um, and you, know, you can for, fast forward to 2050, suddenly people rediscover books. Well, suddenly people rediscovered kale and made it into this big thing, but, you know, it's been there all along. Broccoli the, really is the new boy on the block. Um, all right. So uh, I want to describe a few calls here. We're, we're going to talk a little bit more about this campaign. And then I want to come back also to Lawrence Davis Hollander to talk a little bit about the fact that there, there, there is such a thing as heirloom broccoli. Um, there, are, there are different kinds of it. And obviously, we're also living at a time where there are all kinds of things like broccolini and uh, Romanescos and stuff like that. And I'm sure all of our panelists can tell you a little bit about some of those things. But let me grab a few calls just because there are some people who I know have to kind of run. Michelle from Southampton. Yeah, you're on the air. Hi, Colin. I'm so glad you're doing a show about vegetables, but I'm a little mad that your that broccoli is dishing kale, and I'm wondering why the vegetables um, are pitted against each other and they're not on the same team against a bigger enemy like uh, soda or candy or meat. Okay, one of our Yale people. You want to? One of you want to tackle that? Yeah, sure. Um, I think because it's something we're not ex- we're not expecting. Um, is, is why it works. Um, I think broccoli versus soda um, would kind of make broccoli look like it's kind of like whining and telling you that's what you should eat. When you have broccoli versus kale, um, it's kind of um, standing its own against another vegetable, which um, also ends up helping kale. So it's kind of a mock battle. You know, it's a kind of a sport where everybody wins. And, and Tegan, I think as Jeremy was alluding to before, it kind of gets broccoli down off its pedestal. Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, I kind of had the same reaction that our caller just had. I Mm -hmm. thought, you know, why pit these two vegetables against each other? And, you know, we want people to just be eating vegetables in general. But I do think that, you know, taking kale, you know, I work in grassroots communities around food, and um, we're still introducing kale to a lot of people in this country. So I think the, the broccoli versus kale was a real attempt to kind of hit a certain uh, demographic of people where kale has become uh, mm-hmm. popular. And I think that was the approach that Victor and Spoils took. But I, I definitely had the same response, although I felt like, well, we're bringing attention to vegetables somehow. So so that's that ultimately is a good thing. Michelle, do you feel any better? Sure. I'm, I, I <laughs> that was the most unpersuasive <laughs> sure I ever heard in my life. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll need more of a voice. Right. Any any green port in a storm is good. Let me grab at least one more call here, and this might be something also that Lawrence Davis Hollander can speak to a little bit. Here's Martha in Goshen. Hi, Martha. Hi, Bear. How are you? Just fine. I, mean, um, I am calling because I lived in Italy, and they, my father-in-law asked. He was a big gardener, and he asked me if I wanted broccoli, and then he brought um, he brought a, a big bucket full of leaves. <laughs> and I was surprised. <laughs> and they never let it go to flower. They didn't, you know, they just ate a completely different par- part of it. So I don't I know if that's true for all of Italy, but certainly there they did. Fortunately, and, we have um, we have an ethnobotanist right here. So, uh, yeah. Lawrence Davis Hollander, is this something you can speak to, kind of the, the way the vegetable's understood in, in different cultures? It's understood differently all over the place. I mean, that's, that's a really quick answer in some of what we call broccoli is cauliflower and cauliflower is broccoli and you know different people have different interpretations of it i can't speak directly to the consumption of the leaves versus the flower buds in in this case but it's not surprising that people have different interpretations whether it's you know regional country ethnic um and the term broccoli is and always was a confused term um, I, one thing that I can say about this is that lately I've been buying broccolini, and I've been buying it specifically at the Coventry Farmers Market uh, from uh, some farmers, I think, in Sterling, Connecticut. And and first of all, one thing I should say to the Yale people is at the Coventry Farmers Market, which is on Sundays, the last winter farm market is this Sunday. You literally have to get there several minutes before the opening bell to get any of the winter broccoli. It's, it is mm. probably the most coveted thing, and people do all kinds of stuff, like they, they put their hand on the broccoli before the bell rings, or they, I don't know, they make, <laughs> make, they make deals. I mean, you really have to know somebody, practically, to get the broccoli. But, Martha, one of the things I've been getting, with the broccolini, which is, I guess, a little bit different, that you really do, I think you really are supposed to eat the leaves, and there's a hell of a lot more of them. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that That's helps. That's right. I, you know, I, I just was very surprised. It, it was good. Yeah. You know, but it, you, I sort of cooked it like spinach, like I would cook spinach. And um, it was a different experience. So. Well, right. maybe they Thank ran out of flower buds. Everything. I'm enjoying leave. the show very much. All right. Thanks very much. He's, uh, Lawrence Davis-Hollander, was that you saying maybe they ran out of flower buds and just started uh, uh, yeah. eating Yeah. I mean, yes, you're going to get on a real sprouting broccoli. You're going to get the asparagus broccoli. You're going to get a lot more leaf. Yeah. Um, you know, and the... The extreme version of that, if you will, would be kale. That, well, I mean, in fact, I eat the sprouting uh, buds of kale, but they're a lot smaller than broccoli. So, you know, all these parts of these upper parts of these plants can be eaten. And I mean, this may be this fantastically difficult and complex uh, conversation based on what you said before. But I feel these days that I'm constantly looking at things that are broccoli or broccoli like. And now that I'm a little bit steeped in this, I realize I have no idea which ones are these incredibly trendy modern hybrids and which ones are the things that, you know, Drusus, the son of Tiberius, uh, was eating, you know, right around the time of the birth of Christ. So, um Maybe you can help me. For example, there's something called Romanesco now. I mean, is that like some new thing, or does that go back to... Romanesco Romanesco goes back, I believe that's actually a cauliflower. Yeah. And a, and a cauliflower is composed, is also composed, it's not actually inflorescences, it's part of what they call the meristem of the flower that is not actually expanded into a flower. Um, so, and broccoli and cauliflower can cross, pollinate each other. Uh, so, that is, again... A lot of complexity, but essentially, you know, with most broccoli you're seeing in the supermarket does derive essentially from the Calabrese green broccoli. Uh, what you're seeing in the supermarket is usually a hybrid that have particularly been developed 
in America. So that's what we see when we see the, the heading, most of the heading broccoli. There are some heirloom exceptions to that. So, and there are heirloom broccolis, right? There are, I mean, you probably can't get them in the grocery store, but they, they do exist? Yeah, I'm sure some farmers are growing them. I mean, the two most frequented ones you can run into is the Calabrese Green, which is you know, late 19th century, and another one was the, the Chico, which is you know, an Italian heirloom around 1890. Um, so those two exist. And then there's, a, you know, there's, some, there's still sprouting broccolis available, which you know, those are the ones that would go way, way back. I think there's at least one that's somewhat available today, you know, I mean in a seed catalog, early purple sprouting. Although, interestingly, uh, farmers are fooling around with it and overwintering it, even in the Northeast, in greenhouses, and starting to develop a market with these, you know, bunched um, florets of this purple sprouting. Yeah, I've got I, that's. I think that this the kind that I've been buying. It's purple sprouting, but it turns green when you cook it. Yeah, yeah. So that, that isn't uh, that isn't entirely possible. Yeah. which is different than broccolini. Oh, it's different than broccolini. Okay. Yeah, and it's totally so different than broccoli rob, which isn't even a broccoli. Yeah. All right, that, so Colin, I wanted to say yeah, this, ahead, is a, this is a great time to encourage people to get out to their farmers market. There, there are a few winter markets around the state where I don't know how much broccoli is out there right now. It, you know, it's getting towards the end of winter and things are getting low. But some people are overwintering it, so we could see some in the early spring and then for sure come summer. Um, in New Haven, we have all the city seed markets and Upper State Street Market. You mentioned the Coventry Market. Um, you know, there's other markets all across the state. So, you know, if people hold on to this broccoli versus kale excitement into the summer a little bit, it, it's a good time to go out and try some other uh, try some other varieties that you can find in the market outside the grocery store. And um, I just wanted to mention also the city seed markets uh, accept SNAP and WIC coupons, so food stamps. And we have a food stamp double value program. And I think there are some other places in the state that do that as well. So when we talk about trying to get people of all income levels to be able to eat healthier food and get out to our markets to check out, you know, purple, purple broccoli and <laughs> <laughs> different kinds of dinosaur kale and other kinds of stuff. Um, we, you know, a lot of people are trying to really help low-income folks be able to have access to all this healthy food. Yeah, we got to grab a break right here. I do want to say that uh, for those of you who don't like venturing out in the cold, the New Haven market, the water, it's, it's now the, the weekend city seed market. It's indoors now, so much to the relief of the farmers, to say nothing of you. So it's, uh, it's uh, fun shopping that way. We're going to take a little break here. We'll take some calls afterwards. Mike from Bristol, Richard from Greenwich, don't hang up. We're going to get right to you. We'll go back to the Yale folks and talk a little bit more about what you can do with all this broccoli you're so I like to eat it with my mouth. It's my favorite food. Broccoli. It grows right from the ground. Broccoli. Are all the broccoli fanatics out of the room? Good, I can enjoy the spoiled meat hot pocket. Mmm, spoiled meat. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me. Katie Talarski is our executive producer, and Anna Novak is our intern. Sir Ray Hardman appeared in the intro. The part of Bill Curry was played by Dana Carvey. For show pages, articles, and photos of the Faith Middleton Show staff eating spam, spam, broccoli, spam, broccoli, spam, 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 broccoli, truffle oil, and spam, visit our awesome website, WNPR.org. On tomorrow's show, the nose fumes over yet another Adam Sandler Oscar snub. And now, back to Colin.
This health care mandate is tyranny. If the government can force you to buy health insurance, well, we all know what that leads to. If the government can force you to buy health insurance, why can't it force you to eat broccoli? Could Congress pass a law to require uh, everybody to eat broccoli? Everybody has to buy food sooner or later. Therefore, you can make people buy broccoli. This case is really about broccoli. Why is the government trying to make us eat it? I'd understand if it was Kellogg's Crunchy Nut Cereal. But, folks, if we don't fight this, next, they're going to make us eat the rest of our vegetables, including the lima beans, and take a nap when we're not tired and give our grandma a kiss even though she smells like old Tupperware, and I am not going to do it. I am not going to have my health care decisions made by Barack Obama, or should I say, Barackily Obama. All right, that's Stephen Colbert uh, saying exactly. So it is. This is the way broccoli is used over and over again. It is. A, it's a trope, and I think it is sort of a placeholder for all kinds of things that people uh, don't want to do. So that's what our group uh, from uh, from down in New Haven is up against. Adam Goff, Jr. at Yale, Taryn Engel, chef and community food system coordinator at City Seed, Jeremy Oldfield, field, field academic coordinator at the Yale Sustainable Food Project. They are part of this campaign that is uh, ex- experimenting really with the kind of smackdown format because, of course, Americans understand everything in terms of aggression. Um, so, um, pr- quickly, who wants to tell me uh, what is going to be going on? It's a week from Friday, March 7th, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Elm City Market. What's going to be happening there? Um, I think there's going to be a kind of broccoli versus kale cook-off. Yeah. So you got foodies, bloggers, nutritionists, chefs making uh, recipes using either uh, kale or broccoli. So, um, so, so that's sort of the, the typical event. I also want to quickly, because we've been talking about this, uh, we got a bunch of tweets coming in, we got a bunch of phone calls coming in. But here's Richard, who from Greenwich, who you might even be able to use uh, in your campaign somehow. He's about to say how, how he saw the light, how he found broccoli. Hi, Richard. Hello, Colin. Uh, Colin, thank you for taking my call. Uh, the word broccoli reminds me of the. Uh, the miserable taste of it when I was forced to eat it as a child and the fights that would break out when I when I refused to eat it. Uh, years and years and years later, however, I became intrigued by the fact that I couldn't eat broccoli, I couldn't eat spinach, and I couldn't eat cauliflower. The first breakthrough came when I real, uh, in the form of like an existential moment when I realized that broccoli didn't taste and smell bad. It simply tasted and smelled like what it was. But the, uh, the greater breakthrough came when I realized I could eat it in salad and had no problem eating broccoli, cauliflower, or spinach in salad. And I think that was because when you cook it, and especially overcook it, it releases more of the scent that I abhorred, and also it became, like, mushy and soggy, and I couldn't stand the texture. Now, this breakthrough has worked for me with uh, broccoli and cauliflower, which I could eat cooked or uncooked, but spinach, um, I still have a problem with. I can eat it uh, uncooked, but cooked spinach is still, uh, uh, t- uh, I, I, I just, it's a vile weed, as Newman would put it. <laughs> well, right, so that's testimony. I feel like we were at some kind of 12-step meeting or something. <laughs> Hi, Richard. Uh, so, although, take an angle, you know, I, I'm sort of on the other side from him. I, mean, the, I love broccoli, but the one thing I don't want to do too. is eat it as a... Um, you know, uh, I, I don't want to eat it raw. I don't want to eat it as a crudite. Yeah, I'm uh, with you. I'm with you on that. Yeah, I too. think I think our caller nailed it on the head, which is that people's bad associations with broccoli are when it's not cooked well, when it's overcooked and it, or you know, it's, the water gets kind of burnt, smelling it's like burned cabbage smell, or and it's mushy and kind of brown. It's 
disgusting. I don't want to eat that either. But when broccoli is cooked well and it's still green, it kind of, I love how broccoli holds the sauce. So if you're eating, you know, in China, I think as a kid, I fell in love with it eating Chinese food because it would hold all that delicious sauce in it. Yeah. And, um, you know, when it's cooked, if you roast it or uh, putting it in curries and, you know, then I think it's amazing and delicious. So, uh, but I think the bad associations and the bad rap it gets is probably from a few decades ago when people were seriously overcooking it. And that just, that, that image just stuck in too many people's noses, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I remember, I can still remember the first time that I put enough salt and enough fat on my broccoli after I had cooked it at home and actually threw it in the oven and it kind of caramelized a little bit those little um and started to have a little bit of an eye-opening experience of how ridiculously like a sponge this can be for for uh for flavor all right let me grab one last call I feel like we might be sending the wrong message right now like broccoli is just sort of like this this uh you know this medium in which you embed all kinds of things that are really bad for you but um here's here's Mike from Bristol hi Mike Hi, I'd like to comment from the perspective of a gardener, um, kind of the broccoli versus kale fiasco. First of all, kale is so ridiculously easy to grow that farmers can't go wrong with it. So they get the surplus of it, and they just got to find a way to unload it. So I think the popularity of kale is nothing short of a coup from the, from the grower's perspective, uh, whereas broccoli is kind of a prima donna. It really needs to be coddled and fertilized and watered. So, uh, And not to mention the store-bought stuff just tastes like water. I mean, all it's good for is transporting the ranch dressing to your mouth. So that's really all I have to offer. That that was plenty. And you sounded uh, talking about broccoli like Paul Giamatti and Sideways talking about Pinot Noir. You know, it has to be be nursed along. All right, listen, we have to stop here. I could talk about broccoli all day, but uh, that would uh, defy our program schedule. Adam Goff, Jr. at Yale, Taryn Engel, Engel, uh, a chef and community food system coordinator for CDC. Jeremy Oldfield, field academic coordinator at the Yale Sustainable Food Project. We don't really care whether you eat broccoli or kale, but eat something (laughs) nice Eat one of them anyway, and you'll feel so much better. When you see some broccoli, don't mistake it for a tree. Broccoli, broccoli, all the way from Italy. Lovely, lovely, lovely broccoli. I'm Kyone Wolf, and um, I don't like broccoli, so I was advised that if I want to develop a taste for it, I should just put it with something that I like. I like ice cream, so broccoli ice cream. Here we go. Well, it's better than that white chocolate kale cake that I tried.